0: Welcome back to the Live Wild podcast, everyone. This week is going to be our Q&A. We're going to be calling it our Live Wild podcast. So I had a call-in number earlier this week. People were able to call in and ask their questions. I really enjoy being able to do Q&As, and this is something that I've had on my mind for a very long time, something we are starting to play with. So this is the very first call-in show. Uh, If you're like, oh, how do I call in? You're going to have to pay attention on social media And what I'll do is I I post when the live call-in times are, and then you can call in and ask a question yourself. Who knows, maybe we'll make this whole thing live once we start to figure this out a little bit better, maybe once a month doing our Q&A questions like this. But for right now, we had a a live call-in. So if you're trying to call in right now, the, the lines will not be live, but there will be another opportunity to ask questions in the future. So we're gonna jump into our Live Wild podcast And hear from some of our listeners. Brian, you're going to be our first caller on the Wild podcast. Brian, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? All right. There we go. I think, can you hear me all right?
1: Oh, yeah, I can hear you great.
0: Awesome. Right on. Well, hey, you are the first caller to what's going to be our call-in Q&A. So thanks for taking the time to call. Um, Feel free to ask away.
1: All right. So I'll try to make it short for you. Um, I'm planning my first Roosevelt, uh, archery elk hunt, um, as a pretty new hunter about bow hunting for five years with no real mentors. I'm kind of having to struggle figuring it out on my own. I was just wondering if there's any, you know, specific Roosevelt topics that kind of wouldn't cross over from Rocky mountain stuff. That's pretty readily available on, you know, out there. Um, and then specifically maybe like, any tips or tactics for specifically solo hunting Roosevelt's like in, you know, all that thick cover of the coastal rainforest?
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a great question. I think some of it, you know, some, a lot of it does cross over, Um, you know, my, my Roosevelt elk hunting experience is a little bit limited, but I've I've done a lot of Roosevelt elk hunting uh, off some of the islands of Alaska. And one thing that I've noticed uh, with them is, you know, being in that thicker cover, uh one, th- the, the, one of the tactics that I really like to use is kind of figuring out where they're going to be based on topography. So if you think about, um, you know, you like think about elk in areas where it's, it's covered in trees. Uh, what I like to do is I like to look at that area of like, where are, how's that topography underneath those trees, the stuff that you can't see, and using it to right. initially kind of hone in on those elk spots. Now, one other thing that I think about when I think about Roosevelt elk hunting is picking the thing that's in a scarce supply. So, you know, even even Roosevelt elk, all elk are grazers. So they need that grass or, or that more grass species more than that browse species for food. So when I'm looking at a place that's really covered, maybe the whole area is super covered. Well, where is the forest a little bit thinner? Where are those places where they can get out and get maybe a little bit more open. So what, what kind of like thinking about what's missing in that particular environment, that particular habitat. So in, you know, coastal Roosevelt elk hunting areas, maybe some areas that might be missing would be hey this area that I have does not have a lot of open areas, but there might be this one clear cut or this one opening that might lend itself to being that kind of place where you can start to pinpoint and maybe start your search from um, gotcha. another thing. do you, are, are you doing a lot of um, archery hunting or mostly rifle hunting?
1: No, it's it's archery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely the best time to be able to hunt animals in the timber because obviously you know calling calling can be pretty successful as far as finding things that you can't find otherwise because there's so many trees and so many other things in the way. It's like okay, glassing's obviously out, but um, <laughs> right. one thing that I like to think about is like using that topography to find those bedding areas, those those ridges that you know. I'll look at an area. Um, I'll I'll just pull up like. Some kind of mapping software and i'll look for what i'm generally looking for is those things that like i say again what's in kind of the least supply but um you might be able to identify on a map so let's say you're in an area that's just straight up and down comes straight up from the ocean and it's like very steep very thick country well what i'd be looking for in that particular instance i'd be looking for maybe an area that has that opening or an area where it levels out like a ridge that maybe comes up and then benches out because elk gotcha. do like those more flat spots for bedding. So if the area you're hunting super steep, then I'm going to look for those areas where it's like, okay, where's a good bedding area where it's got this this ridge that comes down and maybe has this this area that flattens out a little bit before dropping off again, or maybe just finding those finger ridges that drop off that meat ridge. Because that's likely going to be their places that they're going to bed. They want to bed in those places where they, their big bodies can kind of feel secure and comfortable as well. And then I'd probably play that off the wind too. So those elk are probably going to want to bed on those ridges where the wind's coming from the top down. Um, they prefer that wind coming downhill to them. So kind of figuring out the prevailing wind in your area, and then finding, okay, where's a ridge that flattens out in this thick timber that has that. And then maybe you can find an area that has opening nearby as well, and you've just kind of pinpointed a spot to go check out. And that's a good way to kind of use that e-scout and try to hone in on those particular
2: animals.
1: Perfect. Is there anything you could recommend for, like, you know, since I'm not hunting with a partner for, like, solo setting up on Roosevelt's or would anything differ from the stuff that you've already covered in your previous, uh, like, uh, episodes?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think some of the things, a lot of the stuff's going to cross over, but when you're, when you're soloing, um, you know, one thing, you know, if if it's thicker country, what I like to do is before I, before I make a lot of calls, I'm going to want to get in as close as possible. Um, and then a lot of times turning around and, and calling kind of like behind me to, to try to trick them to coming in closer, but you, you kind of have a little bit of an advantage when you're hunting by yourself, being in thicker country to get them to come in. Um, you know, and then depending on the time of year, you can throw out some cow calls and some other calls that might, you know, attract them to come in and, and get closer. But for the most part, it's nice being in that thicker cover because they're, they aren't going to be able to use their eyes from so far away. So if you actually kind of, I would say if you're hunting by yourself, elk hunting, calling in archery season, your best bet is to be hunting in that thicker cover, that thicker timber, uh, because they are going to get a little bit closer in the long run.
1: Perfect. Thank you. I mean, you've answered already a lot of questions I had, so thank you very much. I
0: appreciate yeah. That. Awesome. Thanks for calling, man. Appreciate you calling yeah. in. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm going to go to the next person here. uh Let's see here. We've got, it uh, looks like Zane here. I'm going to hit the talk button, see what Zane's got to say. Can you hear me? Zane, yep. Gotcha. Can you hear me all right? Oh, wow. This is crazy. <laughs>
3: Um, yeah, I can hear you fine. Uh, well, I guess this is, um, I don't know, just something I've kind of wondered about. Do you often refine bulls and bucks from year to year? Like the same bull year to year?
0: Yeah. So that's a really good question. And, um, the answer is yes and no. So it depends on the time of year that I'm hunting, where I'm hunting and kind of the type of area. Um, you know, I would say like, so i i've actually had many encounters with some deer that i've or deer or bulls that i've hunted year after year and what ends up happening is they start to show up at a certain time um, so like an area that i hunt a lot for elk happens to be like a migration area so early in the season like bulls that i see in archery season um you know they might those ones will probably be there if it's a migration area because they're probably more resident elk now, there's elk that I find during rifle season that might have not even been in that unit uh, earlier in the year, but they move in from another area into that area. And then depending on the weather, you know, so it's like, let's say we've got a really late, like a really good snowstorm early, pushes elk out of their yeah. summer range into a migration area. And then I'm hunting in the beginning of November and there's big snowfall and I see a bull and it's like, okay. Um, the next year I go back to that area and I'm like, I'm going to try to find that same bull again, but that bull isn't there, but the conditions are different. So you can, I, I will say there, there are a lot of times where I will find animals year after year. Um, I might pick up sheds one year and then be hunting that particular buck and try to find that same deer. So it's definitely possible and it happens a lot. Um, but there's, if you aren't seeing the same animals year after year, then you really have to look at maybe What's going on in your area, and what maybe like understanding the animal behavior that you're that you're seeing when you see that animal. So if it's like, hey, I see this one animal every winter, but I can never find him during the summer, but you happen to see the same buck turn up on the winter range year after year, then it's kind of probably going to be unlikely that you're going to see that same deer in that unit the following August. Now, if it's a deer that you see in a, maybe a migration area in August, right? He's probably not moving anywhere else. He's a resident deer and you'll probably be able to turn that deer up throughout the entire season. Um, So it just depends on the animal and kind of like where you're hunting, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I found sheds off of bucks and bulls for multiple years. Um, But yeah, that's really interesting. So. Yeah, I know. It's super frustrating.
0: (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's super frustrating though. Like when I've, I've, Got a couple deer that I've been trying to hunt, and it's like, I keep picking up their shed (laughs) year after year, but never find that deer during the season. It's just, I don't know how far that deer is traveling from, you know. I've I've seen studies where there's deer that are traveling hundreds of miles, and uh, so it makes it tough, but, um, you know, the best thing is if you find a a deer during the early season, then you can kind of, you know, plan on that deer being around later on if it's a migration type area. So, sweet, man. I appreciate you calling in uh thanks for the call yeah. and um yeah we're gonna go to the next caller here hello hey how's it going
4: hey Remy, what's up dude what's your uh, name <laughs> this is mike mike browning calling from florida
0: oh right on mike thanks for calling
4: yeah pleasure to talk to you i've been following you uh and ranella for a, a few years now and uh, really inspired by you guys, and uh, I guess I'm what you would consider a, a flatlander
2: that, Yeah.
4: Uh, has yet to go out west. Um, so I've hunted, you know, the East Coast and grew up in West Virginia. I'm a hillbilly. I've got all my teeth. Um, <laughs> so what I'm looking to ask you is uh, I've, I, I've actually sent in a, an interest card to, to your service and um, – if not through you guys if there's an outfitter out there that you would recommend for a first timer going out west i'm i love archery but i'm also a rifle hunter as well um so i would call this i'm in my early 40s um i'm a firefighter so i'm physically active but I, you know it my midlife crisis once in a lifetime hunt this will be my chance um I'm looking to get as much information from me as possible, just kind of point me in the right direction, what to expect, who to call, who to look for. The, I'll be honest, the lottery system is very confusing to me, and I don't know where to start looking. So I know I'm throwing the kitchen sink at you, but anything you could offer up uh, would be helpful and greatly appreciated.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, so, um yeah, I know. I mean, I talk a lot about my guiding and my outfitting business, and then, unfortunately, it's, like, very hard for us to – uh have spots available because we have a lot of guys that, um, come back year after year and we just don't have, you know, the manpower to to guide everyone. Um, and you know, it was, it is one of those things where people ask, Hey, can you recommend an outfitter? And unfortunately there, there aren't a lot of guys that I know that have availability that I could recommend. Um, we do have a few people like the, uh, Remy Warren expedition site. Those are, um, there's some availability on there with guys that, uh, just guys that we've worked with. And um, guys that I know have gone on those hunts and and they seem to be pretty good hunts. Um, But as far as, you know, there's that option. And then there's also the option of saying like, Hey, I want to go out and try it on my own. Um, I would say, you know, there, there is so much, there's like a lot of information, but then when you try to dive in, it can seem very daunting. It's like, well, where do I start? How do I, how do I even start thinking about going elk hunting? I've never been elk hunting and maybe you've never even been, out west and it just seems like a mountain of of things to do so i'd say the first thing to do is kind of uh well there's a lot of services out there that kind of points you in the right direction and kind of explain the draws and and what tags might be available the one that i use personally is go hunt um, because you can go on there and you can kind of there's, there's a lot of articles and other things but it just shows you you can go on and say okay where, where might i be able to draw and you can go into each state and, and kind of look at your draws see what tags might be available and, and start there. Um, you know, another, another thing is, um, obviously, you know, like, I mean, this podcast is kind of designed to help people get out and go do those hunts, but it is very daunting on saying like, where, where can I start? And I would say the first place to start is just like pick a state and which state to pick. It doesn't necessarily matter, but, um, the best one I would say right now would be like Colorado or Idaho. Um, for the reason that you can get their tags easily. Montana is also really good and Wyoming is really good. So between Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, um, those that would be the kind of a place to start. Start your search when it comes to finding a guide. Uh, I would always say, you know, um, you can do your searches online, but definitely talk to the guides and then talk to references as well. Uh, talk to people that have been on the ground and not just the successful references, but, the guys that have gone out there and been unsuccessful and how they feel about the hunt, whether it was, uh, you know, they felt like, Oh man, the guys didn't work hard for me. This is a terrible hunt. Or it's like, man, you know, I didn't get anything, but man, they really worked their ass off. They knew about elk. They they tried their hardest and they put us in positions and maybe the conditions just weren't right. So it's a lot of information there, but I think those are kind of some of the places to start looking if, if that helps. Certainly. And uh, if,
4: if I may, one more question, because, uh, Uh, A few buddies of me have considered doing like that, like, you know, uh, DIY kind of hunt. Um, Logistically, like, you know, you got to get there first and everything, and there's gear. Um, I won't, you know, ask you to go down the the daunting list of, like, what to take. But logistically, like, uh, let's say – bringing your your harvest home like I'm I'm not a trophy hunter first i you know I'm a meat eater I, you know and and I've, I don't even have really like a lot of the outfitters I talked to I've asked like hey once we you know get the kill um and we pack it out like do you guys help with you know dry ice and shipping or do you have somebody you put us in touch with or a local butcher and a lot of places I find they are like once we get you back to camp that's your problem so uh any ideas for that I know that would be the, depending on where you're at specifically, but um, is that stuff that, that can be arranged when you when you uh, go on one of these?
0: Ice-hunts? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I, like if I'm going on a hunt somewhere, I think of it in a couple ways. You know, obviously I, I think of getting the meat home first. And so driving is, is generally the best way to do it. Um Load your truck with big coolers. Um, I, I, you know, like a big what, a, like a Yeti two ten or bigger. Um, another option is like having a freezer. I mean, I I know guys come out like hunt with us. They've got freezers in the back of their truck. They'll once you know once they get something on the way home, they can start plugging in and freezing uh, things. And then just finding you know like looking where you're going to go. Once you know where you're going to go, then you can start your search on maybe finding. Hey, is there a meat processor that does a good job? in the area, giving them a call and and setting something up and saying, Oh, Hey, do you guys do a rush charges or some way we can get this cut up and frozen before we go? Like if, if you and your buddies go out, somebody gets something, Hey, here's a meat locker where we can take our stuff, have it processed for us or just having, you know, the capacity to take care of it yourself, hang it in trees, have some big coolers, uh, you know, start with ice and dry ice, and then when you're ready to go, put the meat in the coolers and, and head on head your way home um, and butcher it yourself at home. So there's a lot of options for that, um, you know, and I think it just starts with kind of knowing where you're going and then researching areas around to how to um, kind of help you with that logistics of getting the meat back. Certainly, certainly.
4: Well, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, answer a bunch of probably questions uh it's yeah. great to talk to you again. Really inspired by by, by what you do, and hope hopefully I, I, you know, that's my goal is to get out there someday. So
0: uh, awesome! You know right you know. on. Yeah, thanks, man. Well, thanks hey. for calling in. You Have too. a good one.
5: You
0: too. All right, so we got another question here. Um, I think this one's about bugling bulls. Let's see if this works out. You there? Hey, is this Jeff? How's it going?
6: Hey, how's it going? Oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, I've been watching. Yeah, this is yeah. Thanks for doing this. I've been watching you since you've been on Solo Hunter, and man, I just kind of. I mean, you know, bromance. I was just like, "Ah, I fell in love with Remy. (laughs) (laughs) Just watching all the time, listening to all your stuff, and learned a ton. Um, I mean, just learned so much from you. I want to thank you for all that. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, I appreciate that yeah you're welcome uh question about last year uh was, um hunting locally um I'm up in northwest montana and I was hunting locally and had been getting on this like five point bowl consistently um but he was he was very hard he was very difficult he only had like two or three maybe four cows with him at the most you know throughout the season and you know a lot of times I didn't respond a lot of times I couldn't and i you know, one time I was in with my brother and we were just kind of walking through where, you know, we thought he might be doing some cow calls, cow calls, cow calls, nothing, nothing. And I was like, I, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to sound off a bugle, rip a bugle. He was like literally 100 yards in the trees from us. We couldn't see him, obviously. And he just rips out this, this chuckles, you know, and then we're like, we ran, we ran over there. Just some cow calls, Just some cow calls, nothing. And then he did, I ripped out a bugle again, and then he threw out chuckles again, only this time it was like 200 yards farther up the mountain. I'm just curious, like, how would, I, how would you approach that, you know? Because um, it just seemed like he was like, nope, I'm out of here. And I didn't, I didn't really know what else to, to do with that.
0: Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, in that scenario, when when I've got a bull coming in and he's throwing out those chuckles, were you just cow calling or were you bugling as well?
6: I started cow calling um, as we were walking, you know, as we entered. I mean, we just entered the timber, and so I was just cow calling as I was kind of coming in, and then after, you know, maybe four or 500 yards walking down down some logging roads, uh, I decided, screw
0: it, I'll just throw out a bugle.
6: You know, because, you know, we're getting no responses to the cow calls.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when a bull does that, you know, and when they start chuckling, like I really start to get aggressive with my calling. Um, And I find that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time that really helps kind of get them to commit where you're you're getting this escalation and, and just like bugling, 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 really getting angry, cutting off that bull's bugle, throwing those chuckles back. I almost probably, I mean, you can cow call in those situations, but we don't know what that bull has or whatever. So yeah. he, he was responding to your bugle. He was coming into the bugle. So kind of the way that I think about elk calling is like if something's working, keep it working. You know, you, you threw out that bugle and that bugle was working. He was responding to it and he was actually coming to it. Um, now what what will happen too is you know, think about two bulls, uh, two bulls in the wild, right? One bull's bugling and another bull's bugling. And maybe what they're doing is they aren't necessarily. Sometimes I think, you know, sometimes they are talking to me. Well, they, they, they will be talking to each other, but at first, sometimes they're talking to say, like, a bull bugles and he's trying to locate cows or get cows to come to him. And another bull is going to bugle off in the distance and say, like, no, cows don't go to him, come to me. And so what they're doing is they're, they're really at first talking to the cows before they start talking to each other. And so kind of identifying of like, well, is this bull like trying to decipher, is this bull by himself or does he have cows? And he's just telling his cows, like, don't listen to this other bull. And then he starts talking to you, coming to you. And then what he would expect another bull to do would be like that other bull would come to him. So when he's about a hundred yards away and holds up, um, you know, we don't know whether that bull is going to commit or not. Once he starts going away, I would get really aggressive on that bugle. And I would get, just keep following okay. him, keep following him, keep following him. Cause what I'm guessing has happened yeah. is he had cows, he was bugling yeah. and said, okay, that's a challenge of another bull. And I'm going to be a dominant and not let that bull take my cows. So he was kind of moving in and saying like, you know, just showing those ladies, Hey, I'm the boss, I'm the boss. And then if you didn't go to challenge him, he's like, okay, I scared him off with my threats, with my chuckles, Um, or maybe he just heard your cow calls and thought, well, okay, it's other cows. I don't need to round them up. They're supposed to come to me. I'm going to go to these other cows that I'm tending and start pushing them off. And in those scenarios, what might happen is he's going to start pushing those cows, and I would just keep Mm -hmm. on that bull with just bugle, 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 aggressive bugle, aggressive bugle, aggressive bugle. And And eventually what would happen is he had the upper hand when he was up above you. Um, what you want is you're going to, if you want that bull to commit to you, and I found this happens like more often than not, um, you, you just keep bugling and and dogging that bull. And then you're going to go over a rise at some point. Once he goes down on the other side, get in as fast as you can, as close as you can and give him that mean big bugle with those chuckles back nine times Mm -hmm. out of 10, he's going to turn around and actually commit to your setup and come all the way in. Cool.
6: Awesome. Thanks, Remy. Appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, appreciate the question. Thanks for calling. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yep. All right, we got another question here. Let's see, is Dave get Dave on the line? Is Dave?
2: Yeah. Hey, Remy, is this you?
0: Yep, this is That's Remy. No How's it going, man?
2: <laughs> hey, <laughs> it's pretty for good. In. It's pretty good. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Me and a, yeah. a buddy, uh, <clears throat> we're out hunting this fall and. We thought of a good question for you. that didn't send it yeah. in the mailbag, but when you're out with your friends and everything else is equal, how do you decide who gets to shoot first?
0: Yeah. So the way that I do it is I got I've got the rule: he who spots it stalks it. If you find it, then that's your bull. Now it doesn't work great when um, a bull bugles and you both go, you both hear the bugle at the same time. So um, sometimes what we'll do is we'll just say, you know, if we both both want to go after it. Um, you know, flip a coin the first day of the hunt and say, okay, day one is this person, day two is that person. Um, you know, keep switching off every day. I've, I've been with guys that go, hey, you get the morning, I get the evening, and the next day you get the, you know, keep swat- swipping, switching it around uh, each day, I guess. But I find that, um, you know, having it figured out before something goes down, like, hey, if it, all things are equal and we aren't playing the spot it, stock it game, uh, then then you know this guy gets it this day, and tomorrow it would be you know my day or the other person's day, or at least first write a refusal. You know, um, so that's kind of the way that uh, I've done it in the past. Uh, for the most part, though, you know. Um, when it's uh, with my buddies or whatever, it's, it's, I think the, the spotting it, like if you spot it, you found it. It's kind of like, well, you did the work you put in that. You're the one that originally found it. And so you're the guy that gets kind of the first, the first crack at it. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. My buddy's usually better at harvesting elk than me. So for years he would always let me shoot first. And this year he's like, Hey man, you know, maybe that's not the best idea. We should, so I tried to talk him into swapping off. So, um, yeah, I appreciate the input and, uh, thanks for taking my call. This is really awesome. You're doing this live gig. I think that's really going to help a lot of people out because it'll, I think it'll help you, um, see different questions and different ways to answer questions that maybe you weren't thinking of just doing your normal podcast. I, I'm glad you're back live. We sure didn't miss you when you were away for a few months. So.
0: Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. i appreciate that. And yeah, it's really great to be able to talk to people because, um, yeah you know with the questions and other things it's nice to have a little bit of interaction hear somebody's story and, and their questions based on those those things like you know this, your questions came out of something that happened last year and i will say too you know for the like a lot of trips that i go on or whatever if it's if i've going hunting for something and I've already harvested that animal or got a good one and my I'm with a buddy that hasn't you know I, I'm kind of like your friend I like I generally let people be the first one to shoot but you're right sometimes it's nice and sometimes the scenario too dictates who goes first um I mean I I last year I told my buddy uh, he'd never been moose hunting and I took him with me I was like hey hey jed you get a you get to shoot first and I had a bow and he had a rifle and the first day a bull starts coming in within bow range, almost too close to shoot with a rifle, and I, and I was ahead of him. And I look at him I'm like, "Sorry, man, but um, I'm gonna have to take this. it's <laughs> just too easy." <laughs> so you know, yeah, sometimes no some sometimes those things don't happen. I actually, was guiding a guy, and uh, they, they were both older. Uh, not uh, it was like a, a father son, but the son was maybe thirty five, forty. And, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm going to let my son shoot first. And, uh, we're lined up on this bull elk and he's getting settled. And all of a sudden next to us, boom, the gun goes off (laughs) and his dad said, "Ah, you boys are taking too long. (laughs) So sometimes (laughs) it doesn't work out. Luckily those guys had a good relationship (laughs) and no hard feelings were had. So (laughs) it was pretty funny, but
2: right on. Hey, and if I remember correctly, I think you became a dad recently. So congratulations on that. And um, thank you very much. Yeah, and, and good luck with your new endeavors, man. Thanks for thanks for uh, everything you do. We sure do appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thanks, thanks for calling and good talking with you. Have a good one. All
2: right. You Bye. too. Bye.
0: All right. Let's see our next caller here. Uh, Chris has been waiting on the line. You there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Is this Chris? It is. How's it going, man? Good. How you doing? Good. Really good
6: so my question was finding post rut mule deer what is the best tactic to go about doing that
0: i think the best tactic for post-rut mule deer is kind of thinking about the behavior of deer and what happens after the rut so when the rut, rut kind of winds down most big bucks like if we're talking mature deer so it depends on kind of first you got to say what kind of deer you're looking for if you're just looking to harvest a deer like any deer and the strategy is going to be completely different. But if you're looking for a mature buck, then you're going to want to key in on those mature buck behaviors. So mature bucks are going to essentially, they're they're in control. Uh, they're rutting hard for most of the rut, and then things slow down. And what they're doing is they're going and recuperating. They're moving off on their own, and they're probably going to be in a little pocket by themselves. Hunting late season mature deer is very similar to hunting deer during that October season because on the, beginning and end of the rut they're doing the same thing they're pulling off into cover they're recuperating they're they're kind of regaining their strength so what i like to do is i like to focus on more timbered areas more isolated pockets and more bedding areas those areas where deer don't have to move so far to get the things that they need those micro habitats of food water and cover now if it's a migration area things are going to be a little bit different because those bucks will start to bachelor up again so if it's a lot later after the season, maybe not just kind of like in that right after post rut, maybe in that later winter phase, then you're going to start seeing bucks bacheloring up and they're going to do things like they did early in the season just on that winter range. So bucks will be grouped back together and more deer are going to start piling into those areas. So one thing I really focus on is figuring out where the deer like that preferred habitat and then keep checking in because as the season goes on, more and more deer are going to start showing up.
1: Cool. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks for calling in. And
6: and I love your idea of the, you spot it, you stock it. I just wanted to add yeah. that in there.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. It's like, if you, if you're the one that found it, you you kind of own it at that point. And then you get at least the first right of refusal, you know, so, right on. Thanks for calling love Chris. It.
6: Living by that. Thanks.
0: Perfect. All right. We got, uh, Joe Johnson here. Let's see. Got a question about black bear hunting. You there, Joe?
1: Hey, Remy. Are
2: you- yep, I'm here. Oh, right on. All right. So my question was: When's the best time of year to locate a mature black bear in Montana?
0: Yeah. So I think for, uh, I mean, for mature bears, I really like to focus on two times a year early in the season or late in the season and there's two reasons for that so the first reason early in the season big mature boars are generally the first ones to come out of hibernation then um, and, and they actually don't necessarily they'll come out of their den they might come out and go back in and come out and go back in but they're they fir- they're the first ones to stir they start moving around i've actually seen a lot of videos and studies where they're kind of cruising around looking actually to target cubs to dig up and and kill so they've got something to breed later in the season, but. It seems like the bigger mature boars are the ones that come out the earliest. I generally focus on high areas. I focus on in the snow, and I look for those big bears to to be the first ones to come out. The nice thing about hunting that early part of the season is generally when you see a bear, if you see a bear up high by itself, it's probably a boar. It's probably uh, a good male, and it's a good way to kind of get in and judge those bears. Now, their bodies aren't going to be as big as they would be later in the season because they just kind of – ate up all their winter fat. Um, and they're, you know, they're just starting to get moving, but it's probably the best time to target those big male bears. And then later in the season, like end of May, June period is really good because they're going to start rutting around that time or mating, I guess. And it's a good time to see bears cruising. Now there's more foliage. There's a, you know, a lot of other things that make it more difficult, but those big boars start moving and traveling more for breeding and so you kind of, I find that is a, a sleeper time to find those big boars when, um, many people don't think about it, but you know, it's just like any kind of mating season for any animal elk, uh, deer, anything when they're, when they've got females on their mind, they're cruising more, they're moving more and it makes them more susceptible to being spotted.
2: Gotcha. And then I had another question for you. Um, so if I wanted to book a hunt through you guys, what would the process be?
0: Yep. So for our spring bear hunts, you can pretty much just go Montana Outwest Outfitters, uh, check that out, send us an email there. And actually we do have a couple, uh, openings for, um, right now this fall in May. So it's a good time to target. We've actually got a couple openings for early in the season when it, when I, you know, that really good time to target those big boars. And then we've got a few spots throughout May. So it's a good time to, uh, to check it out, you know, good time to hunt as well. So you can check that out, com, and then there's some information on our bear hunts there. And just shoot us an email, and hopefully we'll get back to you soon. Or we will get back to you uh, soon.
2: Yeah, I'll go check that out. Thanks, Remy.
0: Yep. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Is this Nick?
4: Whoa, it worked. This is Remy Warren. This is awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, how's it going, man?
5: What's up, brother? Hey, you got it. Yeah. I,
6: I had a hunting question. I just started hunting mainly because of you and your buddies at Meat Eater about 4 years ago.
7: I go out by myself all the time. And at night, I get super scared of critters and Bigfoot and wild things. What what do you do for that? You go out alone a lot. What's your remedy?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. Sometimes, you know, even when a guy that's been out there a lot when you start walking around and you let your mind wander, it can go to some pretty crazy places. Um, I found that one thing that just for some reason, I don't know whether it's uh, what it is, but having a, like, if, if there's no fire danger, you can have a fire, a small fire, really just eases the mind, eases the nerves, um, is a great way to kind of calm yourself down and just kind of feel like, okay, and just start to take in the moment, and kind of feel safe around fire. I think it's probably some, uh you know ancestral thing that just for some reason once we have a fire we feel pretty safe that's something that i've done there's one time that i shot this deer and had seen you know some bears around and was thinking like i know now i'm covered in blood and it's just like you know that's always on the back of your mind and you build that fire and it's things start to just feel feel all right you're like all right this feels good I'm, i'm eating fresh meat um, you know, you're like, Oh, you're cooking. Well, I, I slept a little bit further away from where I was cooking, but, um, just having that fire kind of makes you feel pretty safe. Um, another thing is, you know, I mean, realistically, very, very few things, um, really want to get you. And for the most part, you, they're going to leave you alone. But if you're in like big bear country, I definitely would think about, you know, just doing all the safety precautions. You can don't have food in your tent. Don't, uh, you know, hang your food. You know, that, just having those like things in place that will essentially, then you can say to yourself, look, I've done everything right. There's very, very, very little odds that something is going to want to attack me in my sleep. And so by just doing those things, that's another way to just kind of put your mind at ease and say, hey, I'm doing these things right. And then um, a final thing, you know, I've, I've spent some time, a lot of time just in the mountains by myself I used to have like this like little harmonica for camp music, and just when I was by myself on really long trips just to kind of ease the the mind and uh enjoy a little bit of music now you can download that stuff on your phone or whatever listen to a little bit of music or whatever and and just enjoy the enjoy the evening and enjoy being out there and just kind of put your mind to ease a little bit
7: awesome, yeah, great advice thanks so much for taking my call,
0: yeah, appreciate you calling in. thank you very much yeah. You're a stud,
7: man. Love your stuff.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you later. Thanks, you too. Bye. Hi, this is Remy. Hello. How's it going? this is
7: Jaden from Utah. Good, how are you? Hey,
0: right on. Yeah, pretty good. How's it going, Jaden? Good. Got a a hunt question?
7: Yep, so I was listening to your podcast and then one with meat eater Steve Vanilla and Jason Phelps. And Jason was talking, like, almost swearing, but he doesn't cow call. He just bugles, bugles, bugles. And I know in your podcast, you've talked about cow calling and bugling. I was just wondering your take on it.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I love bugling. Um, I think that that's my particular style of hunting. I really like and enjoy uh, bugling the bulls. I I love that interaction of bugling bulls. And I would say primarily that's the way – that I personally hunt elk when I'm out by myself, just chasing elk. I like to to interact with bugling bulls and I think I get really aggressive with the bugles and really aggressive with my calling. Now, I will say like just guiding and, and having to hunt all seasons, like every week of the archery season and having guys that are like, well, I really don't care whether I'm bugling a bull or not. I just wanna be able to get in on a bull. I've learned that there's a lot of different types of calls that work really well. And it just depends on the situation and what that bull might be doing. So um, cow calls work really well, especially when bulls are not super fired up about the rut and you find a lone bull, um, creating an illusion of of using cows and cow sounds to draw that bull in works really well. Um, It's a really effective tactic in certain situations. And also kind of gauging how the elk are reacting to um, you know, the calls that you're putting out. So if I'm, if I've got an elk that's maybe I know he's by himself and I kind of create this illusion that, Hey, there's bulls bugling and this bull has cows. And I see that that other bull is really interested in that. Then I'm going to keep using those calls. Now, if I'm cow calling and a bull's really responding to those cow calls, then I also know, okay, maybe I've got him on the hook with these cow calls. So cow calls definitely have their place. Um, I really prefer my, my preferred hunting style during the the September season is bugling. But um, I do know that, like, there are a lot of other calls that work really well to draw Bulls into range.
7: Right. And then just last question, same thing off the same podcast. He says you can't ever call too much, and I'm just wondering if you agree with that or if you don't or if you think there is a limit where you're like, all right, maybe I should back out a little bit.
0: No, I mean, I, I would say if somebody was saying like, listening to me call, they would be like, this guy calls way too much. And I don't think that there is a sense of over calling really. Um, you know, it, it depends on the scenarios and other things. So like last week I kind of, or a, I talked about, um, you know, the way sound travels. And if you think about it, you know, like, you know, you might have to call every hundred yards, every couple hundred yards because the elk aren't going to be able to hear you depending on the scenario. So but maybe I'm in a big canyon and that sound travels really well, and I don't need to call as often or as much. But once you get a bull fired up, I mean, like I've been in herds of elk that they are nonstop calling for four hours, just screaming their heads off. And if you get elk frenzied up and fired up to that level, there's no such thing as calling too much.
7: right. Well, thank you for answering those questions and clearing it up for me.
0: Yep, thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. Hi, is this James?
5: Yes, it is. How are you today?
0: Yeah, pretty good. How are you?
5: Oh, not too bad. Just first of all, I want to say thank you very much for everything that you do. I do have a quick question and it's really centered around bugling. Um I was watching a show and the scenario came down like this. It was they were trying to call, they were doing cow calls, bugles and the animals were completely quiet. And I know that in Colorado, um, there are going to be different scenarios where basically you have the two-legged predators and you have the four-legged predators, us, and now that they've introduced wolves, that's going to bring a different dynamic into things. And so when animals get quiet, either because of hunting activity or predator activity, uh, do you find yourself being a little less aggressive? Because I know your style is, 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 as you said previously, more aggressive. Um, You change things up when they're really quiet. You really can't locate them. That just sort of takes an advantage away from when you're hunting.
0: Yeah, and so I think about it in a lot of different ways. So the first way is, like, I I really have to decide, are the elk being quiet or or are they not where I'm hunting? And I know that there's, I mean, I, I run into this scenario a lot where guys are like, man, the elk didn't make any sounds. And I'm like, well, yeah, because in that canyon you're in, there aren't any elk, Um, you know? And it's like, I mean, if you're seeing a lot of elk and you're like, okay, I'm seeing a lot of elk, but they just are not making noise. And you're like, but you're seeing elk. So like, no matter what, it doesn't matter if there's a lot of hunting pressure or predator pressure, whatever elk, in order to keep procreating, have to do elk things. And that means they have to find each other and they have to breed. And during that September time, Mm -hmm. that's when they're gonna do it. But there's a lot of other factors at play, like maybe they're doing that at night and the day's hot. So you're right, during that time, if, if we first, I have identified, look, the elk are around, they just are not making a lot of noise during the daytime, or they aren't being really fired up during the daytime, then we can say, okay, well, Maybe I'm going to start to match the tempo of the elk that are around because if they hear things going crazy over here and they're like, well, that's not really what's going on right now, um, you know, it might not necessarily work. But also on the flip side to that is what I kind of think of is maybe I'm not looking for a bunch of elk making noise, but I'm looking for that one elk that wants to play. So all the elk seem to be quiet, but I've, I've identified that there are elk in the area and I can get one bull to fire up and one bull to go crazy during the five days that I'm hunting, then I'm going to probably kill that one elk. You know, I'm not looking for a All bunch of right. elk. I'm just looking for one that wants to make noise and play that game. So there's two philosophies there. You can, you can keep calling a lot and be aggressive and try to find a bull that wants to match that no matter what the situation is, or you can say, okay, well, this isn't really my style of hunting. There's elk around and the elk kind of tempo is a little bit lower. So I can mix in different, Tactics. I can do light calling, um, probably maybe a little more cow calling. I can set up on places maybe elk are frequenting, so maybe they're doing all their rutting at night. Then I'd focus more on feeding areas where it's like, hey, they're doing a lot of activity, but those cows are going to be feeding in the mornings and evenings, like they would later in the season. And then I can focus in and say, okay, well the bulls are probably going to be in there, and try to kind of pinpoint and pick them out based on a different strategy. Also throwing in a strategy of you know spot and stock. But if I'm in an area. It's peak rut. I'm not seeing a lot of sign. I'm not hearing elk call. I'm going to move spots immediately and try to find the place where they are fired up. That might mean going higher in elevation, going lower in elevation, switching up where I'm at, completely pulling out of an area and going somewhere else. Like if they aren't bugling and I feel like it's rut and they should be, then I'm going to try to find somewhere where they are, if that makes sense. Right. Right.
5: No, that makes plenty of sense. And in the same vein is when, when you're in a particular area, and, and I do know that there have been an increase in the number of hunters in some of the areas where I am. And and so there is going to be that part where you hear bugling and you're like, well, is that a hunter? Is that a, or is that an actual elk? And I sort of tended to say, well, maybe I should switch to cow calling instead of bugling, because if I put out a cow call, then typically a hunter won't respond to a Cow call, they're going to respond to a bugle. Should I change things up that way or stick with my normal tactics, regardless of how many hunters in the area?
0: You know, I, I see, I, I know, I understand that philosophy of saying, like, oh, switching it up. And it, But the trouble is that if you switch it up and it was a bull that was responding well to your bugle, you just lost mm-hmm. the upper hand and you lost the opportunity to call in a bull that was already fired up potentially. Okay. Um, gotcha. You know, sometimes gotcha. what I'll do is I will like if I'm like, you know, sometimes you can tell. You're like, man, that's sometimes you can tell and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it goes both ways. You're like, that's definitely a hunter. And then here comes a bull running in and you're like, whoa, oh, <laughs> caught off guard. That wasn't a hunter. Yep, and then yep, the vice versa, yep. you're like, that's definitely a bull and it ends up being a hunter. Sometimes if I don't know, uh what I'll do is I will I'll like grab my cow call and throw out like a kind of a weird sound, not an alarming bark, something that's more just like where someone would be able to tell that for sure it was a hunter, like, hey, I'm a hunter over here. Um, Because I found, like, I've done that, and had it been a real bull, and they don't, you know, a lot of times if they're fired up and they're bugling, they don't really care what other sounds are going Mm -hmm. on necessarily. Like, it's not going to spook them off, but it might just alert another hunter to say, like, okay, that's a a hunter over there too. Maybe we can kind of figure this out. Um, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but for the most part, you almost just have to treat it as like simultaneously believe two things where I simultaneously think that it's a hunter and simultaneously think it's an elk. So I'm being cautious, but also treating it like, Hey, I got to, if it's a real elk, I need to make my move and and make good on what's going down right now.
5: Right. Yeah. Continue until you confirm that it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. All
5: right. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for calling.
0: Thank you so much for everything
5: you're doing. Have a great day.
0: You too. All right, we got a couple more um, callers here. This is Remy.
8: Hi, Remy. Um, So I was drawn this year for a a rut, uh, for an elk tag during the rut, but I was drawn for a cow elk and not a bull. Do the cow elk respond to the same tactics with calling and everything as um, the bulls do?
0: You know, they don't re- – so one thing that you might find is, like, the cows might be more vocal, especially when they're getting pushed around by the bulls. So you can use – like, generally, bulls and cows are going to be together that time of year. So you can use your calls to kind of to your advantage. Um, I would say that it's a lot harder to just call a cow to your location. Uh, there's a few exceptions to that. But one thing that I would do if, if I had a cow tag during the rut is thick country, you can use that bugle to locate a bull and then as you start to move in, throw out cow calls. And one cow cow call that works really well is like more of this whine. So I go, <coughs> and what that does is sometimes gets other cows to start chirping off. So you can use your location bugle to find a bull and then use that bull to find a herd and then use your cow calls to start getting other cows to sound off as you move in. Which you know, makes it a little bit easier because if you've got a cow tag, there's there might be there's always always more cows than bulls in a herd, so you might be moving in on a herd that has 25, 30 elk, but you just need one cow to step out. Now, uh, there are certain cows that can be easy to call in. Uh, lost calves are super easy to call in. Like if you hear a, a, a calf, they kind of make this a shorter, like a lot of chirping noises. Uh, maybe a herd's moved off and you've got this one calf Or you see a a young elk that's making a lot of calls and it's by itself, throw out a couple cow calls and generally that that elk will run right to your location. So um, those ways are probably the easiest ways to to draw them in to where you're at, but you can definitely use calls to kind of help and aid in finding elk and getting them closer to you. If that makes sense.
2: No,
3: that makes a lot of sense. Um, I really appreciate you taking that call. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thanks for calling in. Thank you. All right, we're going to go to Tony. Is this Tony? Hey, it's uh, Sonny. Oh, Sonny. Nice hey, you, Sunny. Going. Yeah, pretty good. You got a question?
8: Yeah, so I got a question. Um, I've been putting that in unsuccessfully for 16, 17 years in Nevada. Um, so I probably got a pretty good chance for a mule deer tag this year. Um, I've always gone after the 194, 196 area, uh, due to the genetics. Um, I know you're familiar with, uh, the Mount Rose, uh, area, South of Reno. Um, yeah. but, uh, been talking, uh, to a few guys that have been in that area the last couple of years. And they said that it's a uh, kind of a burnt out area. I really don't want to use 17 years of points, um, I'm looking for a little, uh, little help, little direction because I've only, you know, I live in Gardnerville, so I'm pretty close. Uh, I could put the time in to scout, but uh, it's a lot of, a lot of time I've, uh, I've been putting in, so I don't want to waste it.
0: Yeah, are you, uh, are you looking to rifle hunt?
8: I'm looking to rifle hunt. Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, that area is, is really good, and there are always great deer in there. It, you're right. It is. It, it can be hit and miss. And the trouble with that area is there's a lot, like it's, it's so urbanized essentially that, you know, depending on weather and year and things can get messed up and it, it makes it difficult to kind of really hunt it um, the way that you can hunt some more remote areas. The the plus side though, is like, you know, like you say, you live right in near the area, you can put in more time scouting where, you know, there's a really good areas on the Eastern part of the state Um, 081, there's a late season hunt up there. Um, you know, all the stuff around Ely, there's some really good units around there, but you know, it's a, it's a seven hour drive to go getting into hunting and you might not have the same amount of time you can dedicate to that. You know, there's always good areas, um, around, you know, around Ely, I mean, 13, 12, uh, 21, all those areas are really good areas. Um, There's some giant bucks there and, you know, you you have a really good chance at a good deer in those areas. They're in that 16-point range where you could probably be successful. Um, But, you know, you'd have to kind of spend a little bit more travel time and maybe less scouting time. So there's a give and take there. If it was me and I had those points, I would probably focus on some areas um, in either 081 or some areas around Ely uh in eastern nevada just because the mule deer you know they've just they're just a higher percentage of really good bucks um and you know and and you're in that point range where you've waited so long it'd be nice to have a potential at a real giant and i feel like those areas would probably be your best option now if you don't have a lot of time and you're like hey i can't dedicate a lot of time to this i'd absolutely stick with the same uh areas you've been applying for and hope to draw that because it's a fun hunt, and you're so close to home that it makes makes a big difference. Where you can you can get out a lot more. You can hunt the whole every day of the season almost, um, and that makes it pretty yeah. enjoyable.
8: And that's kind of more what I was leaning towards. Um, it's just I got uh, discouraged after talking to a few people that have been in here the last couple of years, because as you know, they changed that season up, so they had that late season rifle now in that area, and it kind of kind of messes things up. Um, so I just uh, got discouraged, didn't want to put that much time and effort and and not
0: really uh, pull anything out of there, you know? Yep. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the cool thing about Nevada is you could pretty much pick any rifle hunt that's late season in any unit in the state and kill a giant deer. So, no matter where you have, there is the potential for big deer, but you know, how good that hunt's going to be and how much time you can put in you know, might be the gauge of the area that I would choose is the way that I'd go about it. Awesome. All right, well, I appreciate awesome. it. Yep, great talking with you. Good luck. Yeah, keep luck. me posted. Hopefully right. you draw a tag.
8: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been trying.
0: <laughs> right on. All right, well, have a good one. All right. See ya. Yeah,
3: you too, thanks. Is this Chris? Yes, it is.
0: How's it going, Chris? This is Remy.
3: Good, how you doing, Remy? yeah Uh, pretty good quick quick question me and my son have been buying our preference points we're in ohio midwestern hunters turkey deer rabbit squirrel you know the normal um have done uh wilderness canoeing trips you know for a week where we got to catch what we eat and everything so we want to jump into out west hunting uh we want to do it diy um but it's such a monumental time i've never even been to wyoming um, and we're looking at probably two more years, we'll, we'll, we're looking at going to Wyoming, would it be beneficial yep. for us to maybe try to do an over-the-counter in another state just to get our feet wet in elk hunting before just, boom, hey, let's go to Wyoming for our first time ever by ourselves?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there, there's always that. The more elk hunting experience you can get, the better it's going to be. Even if you go out and you're like, man, I, I, we didn't even see any elk. At least it's going to give you that like familiarity with, okay, how, how do I kind of research an area? How am I getting into an area? What, like, you know, what's going on and and just the logistic portion of it, working out those Uh kinks ahead of time. And then just kind of being familiar of like what to expect when you get out there makes a big difference. I would definitely encourage it's like one thing I say a lot is, you know, it's like I, I would almost, you know, hunt the same place five times over five places once, or it's just more about getting that experience in because every time okay. you go out, you're going to learn something that you can take into maybe a hunt that you've had to wait longer for. Um, and you might even find, you might get out there and be like, wow, we had an incredible experience. We we got into elk. It, w- it was an awesome hunt because, you know, a lot of the hunts that I do myself are those over-the-counter type. Hunts, general unit hunts, and it can be phenomenal hunting with, you know, once you figure it out a little bit. Um, but I would definitely say that the act of just going out and, and getting your feet wet is going to be huge. And, and it might not even be just doing that with elk. It could be going and saying, oh, hey, I found a deer tag that I can get easily. Maybe it is in Wyoming or maybe it's nearby an area that I want well, to. We, we are
3: planning um, on and we have points. We're going to go antelope hunting this fall in Wyoming for our first out west hunt just to get our feet wet.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I suggest, I mean, pronghorn hunting is one of my, it's, it's an extremely fun hunt. It's, there's a lot of, they're on a lot of public land. You can hunt all day. It's, uh, I mean, in air quotes, kind of an easier hunt, but it's a really good yeah. starter hunt to get you out there. And while you're out That's there, plan good. on looking it, like plan on going into some of these areas where you're thinking about elk hunting, get eyes on it. Maybe even plan out an elk, you know, like, Hey, if I was elk hunting, where would I go and check out these areas? I will say this: okay. If you're planning on hunting Wyoming, uh, maybe mm-hmm. you're saying, "Hey, I want to hunt Wyoming in the next couple of years." I would almost try to to cash in your points because things are changing there. It looks like yeah, uh, I mean whatever. we don't know what we don't know what's going to happen with the elk and deer, but it just happened with moose, sheep, goat, or not goat, but yeah. moose and sheep. Um, yeah. So if they if they cut the tags in half, right? Yeah, that, that's yeah. essentially going to double the amount of preference points it's going to take and it's going to be near impossible there won't be as many tags available for the random draw there won't be as many tags available so i would almost suggest uh, taking a mentality this year and next year of saying we're going to try to apply or or at least put in and and maybe hope that while there's still ran a couple random tags available um we might have an, an opportunity to draw a tag uh and just try that game of luck because you know if you say i'm going to wait 2 years for this area that i can draw it might not be possible in 2 years so um that's the unfortunate state of the union right now but um, yeah. i would definitely think about i would definitely think about trying to get out and then maybe trying to cash in points sooner than later you know um it's nice to try to have that that area that's like oh it takes 3 or 4 points to draw but you may not you know now unfortunately now it might that might not be the case so I'm I'm, I'm looking to do something similar with my Wyoming points in the next couple of years is is try to cash in and and get on that application and and try to draw, even though maybe I'm still a point or two shy just getting in the pool. And then if you do that, don't forget, if you apply, you still don't get a point. So you got to get your point after the draw if you don't draw. Um, I made that mistake last year. So if you do apply, (laughs) um, remember, you still got to get your point after the draw. Okay.
3: So. All right, I appreciate awesome. it, man. Thanks for taking my time.
0: Yeah, thanks for calling in.
3: Yeah, have a good one.
0: You too. All right, we got one last caller here. This is Remy? Hello. Hi. Hey, how's it
8: going,
0: Remy? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? Me? You got a yeah? You got a hunting question?
7: Yeah, I do. Sorry, it kind of cut out there for a little bit. Yeah, no worries. Not, I was not even expecting to come on no. come on to the phone call. No, but my hunting question is is just um, for, like, uh, just hunting mule deer. And um, I missed most of the show, so you probably I, – I know there's probably someone on there who called about mule deer, but just in particular, like, high country mule deer. And I actually live in Washington, so I know, like, historically, Washington hasn't been known for, like, one of those mule deer states. But I think, you know, what I've read a lot on is just, like, uh, spending a lot of time out there and just, um, you know, what's kind of nice is that it's close, so I could get out there and get high. Um, but I think my biggest question would just be, like, in kind of optics because it seems like a lot of it is going to come in the optics and having that, that correct gear um, to be able to to find the mule deer because, I mean, obviously if you can't see them, then you can't find them. So I guess my question is more pointed out to uh, uh, just, like, what kind of optics should I be looking into buying before the season starts and then obviously have them before I go out so I can get my eyes familiar with using, um, you know, those uh, binos and that spotting scope. So when I'm out there, so like what kind of optics do you usually uh, run on those high country mule deers?
0: Yup. Yeah, yeah. When I go, when I go mule deer hunting, I just go like optics heavy. I actually, you know, sacrifice weight and other things uh, to, to have more room for good optics. One thing that I've found is, you know, having a, a good, maybe even higher magnification binocular works really well um so there's i'll give you like what i would say is like three kits and then you know obviously um you kind of can adjust from there because of prices and and other things so i would say you definitely want two things binoculars and a spotting scope so that would be the first kit um you know now you can you can kind of play with You know, when it comes to spotting scopes, you know, everything's a little bit, you know, as the price goes up, like as the size goes up and the price goes up, as the quality goes up, the price goes up. um, There's always been this thing like get the best optics you can afford Uh, just because, you know, when you put a little bit more into the glass. Now that when I was growing up, that was the thing. Now it's like most of the optics out there are pretty good. Um, even like the the low end stuff is a thousand times better than some of the high end stuff when I first started hunting. so it's like now is a good time to get get into optics because there's so many options out there i I work with vortex I've run their stuff for a really long time, so most of my experience is with um the vortex line, but I've just you know I get to try a little bit of everything so uh that's nice because I get to try you know their highest end stuff and their mid range stuff but um i i the, my personal setup if I'm going is um, I use the Vortex Razor H- UHDs. I've been running the 10 by 50s lately, but um, here's where I would say, like, here's a couple different options. So um, if I were to, I guess I got to jump to my, like, if I if I could do, if weight wasn't an issue, I was willing to carry as much weight as possible. And I really wanted my best optics set up for just crazy glassing. I would have 10 by 50s on my chest. I would have a pair of high power binoculars, like, 15s or 18s in my backpack that I could put on a tripod. And then I would have like a really large objective spotting scope, like a um, 80 mil objective spotting scope that goes up to 60 power. And like that is optics heavy as you could get. That weighs a lot. And it's really hard to take all that in the backcountry. But that's like, if you had unlimited budget and unlimited like strength, that's what I would take. But obviously in, in real life situations, maybe that doesn't work out. So a really good kind of lightweight option. And I would say like really good for everything would be doing like a 12 by 50 power binocular and then running like a 60 mil objective spotting scope. Um, Because what that 12 does is it gives you in that open country, you pop that on a tripod, get um, I use an Outdoorsman tripod adapter so I can put those 12s on my tripod and. You know, that really just allows your eyes a little bit less like eye fatigue for glassing those basins far away, for glassing underneath in, in all that cover. You've got both eyes open and you can just sit and pick that hillside apart. Then you've got that spotting scope for verification as well as midday glassing into the shade. So looking in those spots where they might be bedded, you've got that spotting scope and that probably for backcountry hunting is my like lightweight best, you know, optics to, um, weight and utility ratio if i was just kind of choose anything of like what i would choose to to take into a backcountry meal hunt it'd probably be that particular setup so vortex like uhd or razor 12 power binoculars and then um kind of a middle weight spotting scope which is really good for a lot of different applications but has good light gathering as well it's got i think a 65 mil objective and i think it goes up to like 44 power or something like that just kind of off the top of my head
7: yeah, yeah, and that's the thing too. It's like I don't want to. Um, I mean, like you, you brought up a good point. How like nowadays there's a lot of companies out there, and like uh, you know the quality's higher, and you know might not cost as much. But I, I just remember myself last year going in uh, to do some mule deer hunting, and I was like super late into hunting. Like I always want to do it, but like you know I had just graduated college. So like I was paying off some student loans and whatever. So I bought some uh, Vortex, I think twelve by forty eight. And I was up there, and I would just, like, catch myself, like, glassing for 15 minutes and then, like, putting them down because I didn't have the tripod or nothing. So, um, I mean, obviously, just it was me more just wanting to get in there and probably knowing that I wouldn't arrow anything, but just kind of just wanted to get out there and, like, get my feet wet. But, like, I mean, this year have been, you know, listening to a lot of podcasts, and, like, I actually heard one that brought up, like, a really good point where it's like, uh, you know, you got 12 months of the hunt, like, set, set aside some – money for like your gear and updating everything and um just like like you know just having the best that you can so like when you actually get to those spots that you're not uh you know lacking and you know whatever department whether it be backpack or optics or whatnot like suffering and then being able to see the deer because I mean that's that's like the biggest point is being able to see see them so you can put a stock on those deer. But um all right I got here twelve by fifty and like some sixty five mil objective spotting scope. Um, and then you said you run a Sportsman Outdoor Objective um, Tripod?
0: Uh, yeah, this the, so the Outdoorsman, they make tripods. They also have really good adapters for your optics. Um, and then, you know, I, I've actually got uh, – now I've got – what is this? It's uh, I'm looking at it right now. It's in my, um, It's a Vortex. It's carbon fiber. I guess, oh, it's a Summit Carbon 2. It's like just a – it's a lighter tripod. Um, you know, it's, it's got just a, a, like a pan head on it. Um, that's pretty nice. The outdoorsman makes a different couple different kinds pistol grip pan heads, uh, so there's a lot of options for tripods and stuff out there. Um, definitely have you know just have a way to get everything steady, and then you know have that you know try. I, I like to glass off that tripod. I don't do it every time, you know. So sometimes it just depends how you're hunting. Like you might be cruising, just make sure you're sitting down steady. But when it's time to really pick them out and apart, throwing your your optics on a tripod. Uh, makes all the difference in the world because you can see into those shadows. It just gives you a little bit more clarity, a lot less shake, and it helps you find those deer that are really hard to see. You know,
7: right, right, awesome. Well, I wrote that down and I appreciate it, Remy. I've been listening for a while now, and man, like your your stuff is just amazing. Podcasts are amazing, videos are amazing. Uh, really appreciate everything you do for for the sport of hunting and you know everything. So, thanks, Ram. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate that. Keep me posted. Good luck out there. And uh, definitely send me uh, some pics from your hunt. I want to see how how it turns out. Well, thank everybody so much that called, that listened in. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. I've been thinking about doing this for a very long time. I I like the opportunity to interact and and talk with you. So thank you, everyone that called in, had a question. This is our first one. And if you guys like it, let me know. Uh, Feel free to reach out. Instagram or social media. Let me know what you think about the live QA. And and maybe, I mean, maybe one day we work to this where it's like on Thursday morning it's it's a live kind of call-in show or something like that. I, I haven't really figured that out yet, but I'm on my phone right now and I believe that I could do this from anywhere in the world. Like it could be out bugling one day, and so maybe we'll just take you on a hunt. So if you guys like this, let me know. Thank you guys so much. I'd appreciate it if you like, and, you know, drop some comments, subscribe, feel free to share this. You know, we're, we're still growing it back. Um, it's been awesome to be able to do this. And I just thought, man, this is something I've been thinking about for a very long time. So if you like this call in aspect, let me know, uh, what you think about it. Um, we could always go back to the mail stack kind of thing. But I thought being able to talk to you guys is, is fun for me and just you know, getting to hear your stories and things that you guys want to hear about. I want this podcast to be something that helps you guys out there. So, uh, until next week, you know, keep, keep after it. And next time we have a call in, give me a call. All right. Catch you guys later. Thank you everyone that called in. I was really excited to be able to do this. That was a lot of fun being able to get to talk to people, answer questions in real time and see what, what was on your guys' minds about hunting tactics, hunting tips, and how to make you guys more successful. It's a lot of fun to be able to learn from each other to talk to you guys. So I was really excited to be able to do this. I'm looking forward to future conversations with you. So make sure to stay posted to social media or check out. um, You can sign up for our email list. We'll try to put a little bit of a schedule on there. But uh, this one, this first one was a little bit just kind of like spur of the moment. Let's call it a pop up podcast (laughs) of sorts. So until next week, I think next week, we're going to be talking about well, you know, what happens when you, you move in, you're, you're in a spot and stock situation and you spot an animal and you've got this decision, I call it the wait or go decision. Do I make a move now or do I wait till that animal's in a more advantageous spot? So we're going to spend the next couple weeks breaking down this wait or go decision. Once you find an animal, when to make that stock and move in. Until next week, uh, let's just say live wild.